you are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week we are talking about medical marijuana or cannabis for use in recovery from restrictive eating disorders such as anorexia. I am talking to a lady in the UK, her name is Sophia. And Sophia is going to talk her through her recovery story um, and also explain how using cannabis actually helped her in recovery. So before, I don't know how you feel, one way or the other, it probably depends where you live as to your perception of cannabis, but put that aside and uh, let's start by maybe listening with an open mind to hear what Sophia has to say. Here's Sophia. Yeah, I got in touch with you because I wanted to share something that maybe other people haven't come across yet and that might be helpful for them. I I always felt like the information that I had on anorexia or eating disorders in general from the media or from people in my life, like doctors or, um, you know, people that really were supposedly experts. Um didn't really fit with what I was experiencing so I have never it's just not really part of my personality to particularly care about um fashion or being really thin or um the way I look particularly like I have cared about those things to what I would call like a like normal degree um and uh and so a lot of like the advice or the information that I was coming across was very much based in I must have body dysmorphia if I have anorexia and I must be comparing myself to the way other girls look and that sort of driving the illness, whereas that did not feel like the case for me at all. And some when I when I was sort of as an adult um trying to work out sort of what my what the expression of my illness was, um I did kind of remember that it had started when I was about 11 um, and that was, um, I didn't, that wasn't diet based at all and um, interestingly all of the sort of symptoms of anorexia were present just in in a really different way so I um, did compare myself to other people but I compared myself to um, specifically younger girls than myself and that was definitely the image that was held up in my mind all the time would just be younger um, versions so younger bodies basically so I kind of I find it interesting how the same mechanisms can can support the illness um, and just like fit into the context that you're in um, so that kind of always showed me that it was something like deeper that was going on um, or something more sort of neurobiological I guess um, that then the sort of thoughts or feelings would kind of be built on top of to support whatever that was going on. Um, But actually that didn't last very long because I wasn't in control of like what I was eating. So um, the only way that I could be anorexic would just be to eat less. And so like for a a long sort of extended period of time, that just wasn't going to work with like a growing body, like luckily, because I had no, no kind of help at the time. Um, and then I would, I just sort of 
spontaneously recovered, but obviously not fully, 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 um, for a long time to the point that I completely forgot about that ever happening. And um, and then it was as an adult, uh, quite a traumatic experience in my life, um, and it was all just very bizarre to me how this this just was the first coping mechanism that my body had um and just yeah it seemed out of nowhere um so I was in a relationship with someone that I met when I was 18 and we were together for about um eight years in total and we got engaged after seven years and um I mean I'm I'm not going to go into too much detail um but for whatever reason things weren't weren't going that well for him at the time but this wasn't something that he was particularly expressing like to me I can see like there'd be there's a lot of factors kind of getting in the way like when you're planning a wedding you're probably supposed to be the happiest you know whatever that you're that you've ever been and um and a number of factors um we did get married and he left me about a month after we got married and it was for me completely out of the blue like as far as I kind of was concerned I had you know I just married the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with and I had an amazing you know wedding day and um and so I I don't think I knew how to process the information at all um and I didn't tell anyone for I told one person I didn't tell anyone for weeks because I was waiting for uh, him to change his mind. And, um, and I, I mean, I remember little things. Like, I can't remember that much, actually, about it. I think my brain sort of shut down. But I went to work every single day. I was a secondary school teacher. Um, I, I remember sort of people saying, like, when are you writing the thank you letter? And I was like, oh, um, soon. Um, yes, that wasn't great. Um, and looking back on it, I think, you know, what my, my, my brain sort of said that I was doing was, um, just eating the things that I wanted to eat. Um, now that I was sort of single, I could choose exactly how I ate. Um, so it turned into something that was sort of semi like orthorexic um uh and but it felt like a at the time it felt like I was choosing these things like it was a it was something positive that I could do um and I think like probably like a lot of people I had fallen into the pattern we had been together for all of my sort of adult life of um sort of negotiating like what what we want to see for dinner every night and um and just sort of falling into the slight pattern of if I was by myself then not really making an effort or um eating less or choose using it as a time to like quote unquote like eat health more healthily um and so like clearly like this pattern had sort of developed that I hadn't even really noticed and so when it came to me needing to feed myself for myself by myself um I didn't I don't think I knew what the hell I was doing actually um and yeah I, I came across like recently I came across an old diary that I had like a planner not like a dear dear diary diary 
um, and I saw a shopping list in it and I uh, it's just so weird to see just yeah the orthorexia was just yeah it, it was very very clean and I think that was at, I was at the height of its trend then um, but I think that was actually sort of an eating disorder using whatever it had at the time I don't know yeah I think it was using the information that it had at the time and that actually it just obviously then got worse um, and that's really common for people that didn't last very long at all um, so just to kind of speed through that like again I had this sense of um, not not having like clarity about what I was doing just sort of acting and so there'll be snippets of like moments where I'd, I would like look in my shopping basket and just be like oh that's really odd like that's really odd stuff to buy um and it's just not enough for like a person like there's no way that I'd look at that shopping basket if it was anyone else's and think that looked normal um so there was like this de like detachment going on but again like so none of this was driven by like I want to look xyz um it was more like occurring to me as it was happening um but after a while um it was becoming more and more obvious and actually this is this is kind of I have I, I take a constructionist view of eating disorders so I don't really think I I kind of agree with some of what you said before in that it's possibly all based in restriction um on some level um and then kind of dips and dives around that and it might look like a sort of restrict purge or restrict um sorry not restrict purge it it might take on so many different guises and it's just going to be sort of expressed through a person like depending on what their context is so that's something that I really saw for myself and I think after a while I couldn't continue to restrict in the way that I was and um the exercise basically just kind of became the main thing um and I, who knows maybe that's because I felt like I, I needed to eat more um and that was some way that I could eat more um but that became definitely my main sort of way of restricting and again it's like it was already happening I just had what I could only describe as like ants in my pants um, which might have been circulating like cortisol. It might have been sort of the migration response that you talk about. Um, but it's then, it's almost like I then had to find some sort of justification for this, like answer my pantsness. So I would do things like sign up to a marathon so that I had like some kind of way of not needing to yeah I guess see that I wasn't in any kind of control over this at all and um, this was happening to my body like primarily um yeah I'll I'll speed up um yeah so essentially I ended up in this horrible cycle you know the the real cycle of um expending far too much energy needing to eat a lot a lot more so I this would be where it'd be maybe considered by someone like exercise bulimia or something it depends what way around you look at it um but that was a major cycle and I think the reason that I I had to wake up from that was that I got injured um luckily 
Um, and then uh, the repercussions of me being injured were just emotionally huge. Um, and I had, I was uh, smoking through all of this because that was also something that I was doing probably to get rid of um, hunger. And then that just like went mad when I was injured and training for a marathon. And so the cognitive dissonance was huge. It was like, there's no way I can pretend that I'm being healthy at all. That's actually something that many of us have. It's like, oh, I'm doing this for health reasons. And then you're yeah. also at the same time doing things that could never be constituted as health. I know. And to sort of follow like running blogs or whatever I was doing, like just didn't, did not work. Um, so that's when I, I kind of, decided pre-decided like I had to I had to like take you know take a hold of this whatever was happening um and so my um oh, my um recovery was uh quite long and drawn out and I wanted like full control over it and it, it probably sounds a bit unusual like where was anyone else in my life at this time but like a lot of people I isolated I started to isolate I started to probably to push people away um and I have always been quite good at pretending that everything's fine and also I think because of the breakup people kind of expect you to lose a bit of weight or something. yeah um and it did it did get to the point and then also because I was running marathons and I just made it sound like I was choosing I just kept on making it sound like I was choosing to do all this, these things um but yeah, so uh, so my recovery is quite self-directed as well. Um, but yeah, the main one of the main reasons I wanted to, to talk to you is because um, something that particularly helped me in recovery was uh, was use of CBD, so that's uh, cannabidiol, and smoking cannabis. Um, again, I managed to stop smoking cigarettes, which was great. Um, and there are like a number of ways that one can vape or smoke cannabis without um, using nicotine um, and the reason I wanted to bring these things up is because just in case they might help anyone else um, now there was no way that I was going near um, weed like in general when I was unwell and in the early stages of recovery because munchies which is also one of the reasons why I would like to kind of take a little bit more of a, a role in promoting its use in anorexia recovery um because i think there are really really useful aspects to it um and i know that it's legal in in a lot of states in america and you probably can um get hold of it if you for anorexia i'm, I'm not sure do you know that? i think i think that you can get it on a medical marijuana card and i also think that for for because we have i know that there are lots of people listening to this podcast that say live in the uk and what's in the us i imagine that the people living in the uk will be like what the hell they're talking about cannabis that's illegal and i'd just like to remind the people in the uk that in many states in america including the one that i live in colorado cannabis is legal it's a, it's legal in both recreation and for medical use yeah and that i mean it puts us in a really funny position to be I, i'm speaking about it um, from the, uh, you know from a country where it is still illegal um, and that's partly why I wanted to speak about it because I want to to bring it into more public awareness 
problem with it when it's illegal is that it's a, you know it's say if it was like alcohol if you're buying it illegally you don't really know what you're getting you know you could be it would be like if you were buying alcohol illegally and it just all came in a brown bag and it could be vodka or it could be beer you wouldn't know there are so many different strains of cannabis that um if you go into a, a shop here that sells cannabis there is somebody there to greet you that's trained and you tell them what what you need what your problems are and they will select a strain specifically for that problem so if you said to somebody i need help with anxiety i need help with appetite they'd actually direct you as to the exact strain that's going to help with those things so you're not just going in blind and taking absolutely anything because there's so many different strains of cannabis and they all have different effects exactly um and so i hope that i'm also not preaching to the choir i'm probably um preaching to quite a mixed crowd at the moment um i mean i live in colorado so i know we're all, um, relatively yeah. educated in the medical uses of um, cannabis but i imagine that many people listening will be like wait a yeah. minute they're talking about drugs <laughs> yeah um and and that really is the point is that it's not regulated in the uk um uh but it's it's what people don't know is the um the ratios of cannabidiol and uh, what's called uh, THC, which is a psychoactive component. So if you're unsure about any of this, then I recommend that you do some research on CBD oil. Um, and that means that you won't be ingesting any psychoactive component. Um, but I would like to say sort of at this point um, that from personal experience, um, when I was ready, um, it has been definitely the THC that's been particularly um, important in my recovery um, because it 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 basically inhibits like a lot of um, I guess like the it inhibits um, so it attaches to what are called CB1 receptors and it basically presses pause on your habitual thoughts um, is how I sort of describe it in a nutshell so if you are um, almost like at the mercy of habitual thoughts and even even if you're really good at recognizing them and dropping them um, from you know through recovery it doesn't mean that you're perfect you know at seeing these things of course you wouldn't be because you're using the same head yeah I have a client actually who she lives in Colorado she has been prescribed medical marijuana for uh, anxiety and she says that when she takes it, she can, it's like she can clearly see her eating disorder thoughts and dismiss them, which exactly. is incredible. They seem preposterous as well. Yeah, that's what she said. She says when just seems absolutely preposterous, these thoughts, in the same way that they do probably to the outside world, other people who are not in our heads when you're freaking out about the possibility of putting butter on a piece of toast. And she says it just, when she takes her medication, she can see those thoughts and see how stupid they are. And because she can see how stupid they are, she can laugh at them and, yeah. and do what she needs to do. Um, but, you know, so the relevance here is that because, though, there is still some stigma about this type of medication. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're just in a little bit of um, a funny passage of time around it. And, um, and of course, like a lot of people that have um, eating disorders might also struggle with anxiety. And it's, it's not going to be helpful to think that you're doing something bad or doing something that's illegal or taking some sort of risk 
it's not it's it will quite possibly interfere with some of the benefits um so there's that um on the other hand um one benefit that i can find from from sort of doing this kind of thing now is is also that um something i think the biggest thing that i've learned in recovery from an eating disorder is that i have to put myself first in a lot of ways um especially when it comes to um what information am i taking in from outside sources who am i listening to what feels intuitively like the right information and what doesn't and i have to say and i say this like i don't know laughingly a little bit um the majority of the information that i take in from the outside world feels like absolute shite um most of the time so navigating through that like has has been um an exercise in becoming stronger and braver and um and part of that for me was doing something like uh you know using medicinal marijuana because i've decided to put myself first as opposed to what everyone else thinks necessarily i think that that's one of a really important message for anyone about any aspects of recovery really it doesn't matter what other people are recommending or not recommending if you know yourself and you know that something is going to help you recover or do what you need to do in order to recover then you need to be able to say to yourself this is what i'm doing for me it doesn't matter if someone so across the road disagrees with it yeah and i mean there's countless examples of where i've heard precisely the wrong thing um, and I know that all your listeners will have countless examples of where they've had precisely the wrong thing. And um, one that I'll just mention uh, is that when I did, I mean, finally, I, I went into um, CB, uh, CBT, not CBD, um, CBT briefly, and I actually dropped out, um, which I'm quite happy about now because of this particular reason. So this was NHS funded and um the therapist who claimed to be an uh, expert in eating disorders um said that a bit of restriction was healthy <laughs> <laughs> and i think i i didn't like walk out immediately but i did i did argue with her i said well actually what i've written on my list of goals was to be completely free of restriction um and she had said to that uh you know a bit of restriction is healthy I was like, no, 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 wrong crowd, bye. That is not what you say to someone with a restrictive eating disorder. No. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's just one tiny, weeny little example. So, yeah, it is, uh, I encourage anyone to do anything that they think is going to help them to build up, like, resources in, encourage, literally encourage, um, in, yeah. Just quickly, how are you doing now? Oh, I oh, I meant to look at... Um, so I would say I'm very much still in recovery. It feels to me as if to be recovered would be very... Uh, well, it feels like that. that's definitely what I'm aiming for, and I, I don't think that's too far in my future. Um, the only reason that I say that I'm in recovery is because... Because of generally the work that I I still put in to uh, releasing thoughts and it's mainly around new information that comes in there isn't 
much old information that hangs around or influences what I do or, uh, nothing influences what I do that's like full stop like I eat on a on a pretty much a, like you know nothing influences my behavior but new information coming in has to go through a bit more um of a like <laughs> process before I decide whether it stays so and, and I'm not just like roaming around the world like you know like someone that hasn't had an eating disorder essentially and yes definitely <laughs> thanks That's huge thank you to Sophia for coming on and being brave actually to talk about something that is a little bit controversial and that a lot of people probably don't agree with for various reasons but I'd like to just look at it as this is something that helped her it's something that I have also known to help other people in recovery that doesn't mean that it's going to help everybody in recovery but it's something that is considerable Sophia emailed me after the show after we talked and she asked me to um to say that she'd been quite conservative when speaking about where she was now so she would love me to um, read the following and I'm going to read that now I say I'm still in recovery, but that's only because I know the insidious nature of the disease and I want to make sure I've got the upper hand in all situations. That said, here are some of the things I can do and do do on a regular basis. Rest, go out for dinner with friends, have a job, eat cheese sandwiches, forget that I'm in recovery, sleep in, change plans on a whim, get food on the fly, date, read books, sit down on the sofa. Which I think is pretty wonderful, isn't it? And I know that many of you listening will listen to that and realize that, yeah, she's doing pretty well. So what are your thoughts on CBD or CBD oil, cannabis, or any of those above products for, um, or medications, I should say, for use in anorexia? I know it will depend on where you live as to whether you can even use that as a tool or a medication. Um, but the world is changing, and especially in America, more and more states of America are legalizing cannabis for medical and recreational use as well. This is something that I have tried personally. I live in Colorado, and cannabis became legal here, I think, around five years ago for recreational use. Um, it's been legal for medicinal use for some while before that. And of course, before it became legal, there's all the, there's all the fears and all the worries and all you're going to have is stoned people lying on the streets. None of that happened. In fact, I actually, I think I noticed people using cannabis just in general in public way less than I did before it was legal, which I think is one of the arguments for legalizing it. And um, I'm one of these sad people that listens to politics shows, and I was listening to, um, and think it was any questions, any answers from the BBC, and they were talking about legalizing cannabis um, for medicinal use in the UK, and, and then they went on to the discussion of legalizing it for recreational use. And there was somebody, I can't remember who the speaker was, but she was saying, I've been a teacher and I've seen the effects. I've seen students coming into lessons, um, having used drugs and sitting there just gazing into the distance and they, they're ruining their futures. 
And I think that that's one of the really typical fear-based arguments for as to why cannabis shouldn't be legal. But that's not a that's not a problem with cannabis. That's a problem with people using drugs before they go to school. <laughs> I mean, because that happens with alcohol as well, and alcohol is legal. And so if, if somebody wants to take drugs and become intoxicated before they go to school, they're going to do that whether it's legal or not for them to do so. And so I think we've got to be very careful about um, mixing these arguments up and actually looking, well, what if there are problems with legalizing cannabis, then what are those problems that are specific to that, rather than what are problems with rebel children? Because that's not what the actual question is. Anyway, so I have um, used cannabis. I, I have no desire to use it recreationally, so I don't. Um, I have these little things called chill pills, and they're actually um, THC, indica, and they are tiny, uh, it's. I think it's such a small amount that most people uh, wouldn't even know anything that happened. But I'm quite a lightweight, and so I actually only I've got these tiny, tiny chill chill pills, and I take about a quarter of a one, a couple of times a year, <laughs> really very rarely, because I'm not actually a person that has particularly high anxiety or anything. But there are some times when my mind is racing and I really can't get my mind to settle and I know I want to go to sleep. And these things will just help me recognize worry thoughts and not care about them as much and recognize them for just how silly and worry they are. It also makes my body feel nice and heavy and sleepy. So really, really rare that I take one of those things. Um, but it, if I do, it's just actually to help me sleep or something. Would it occur to me to just take one for fun? No. I mean, that's, I think, one of the weird things about cannabis. It's alcohol I do drink recreationally. It's a different feeling. Cannabis just makes me want to go to sleep. Um, and so I, it wouldn't occur to me to use it recreationally anyway. Um, so I, I think that the argument for recreational, medicinal, it's just really, you know what, just let people decide for themselves. Um, ultimately, they're going to anyway, because you can get hold of it, even when it's illegal, you just don't know what you're getting, and it's a lot less controlled, and it's a, you're much less able to specialize use. So one of the, as I mentioned in the podcast, one of the great things about the um, really educated people that work in um, cannabis stores in Colorado is that one can go in and say, I have this, that, and the other. I have a bad back and anxiety. <laughs> and um, I had one, I knew one lady who she had really bad GERD, acid, acid reflux. And she went into a cannabis store and they, they found a strain that would specifically help her with that. And it did. Um, and they can also make it so that it's non-psychoactive or whatever and low THC so that you're really actually just benefiting from the lack of pain rather than feeling out of it. There's so much that can be done. It's such a pliable um, medicine and such a natural medicine as well. So those are my thoughts, and I know that not everybody will agree. I just hope that we can take a really sensible, non-fear-based look at this. And would I have used cannabis when 
I was recovering from anorexia had it been available to me because it wasn't, it wasn't legal when I was in recovery. My healthy brain answer to that question was it would have been a game changer for me. My, I can think back to what my anorexia brain though would have thought about that and I think I would have been really scared about using it. And I probably would have been resistant to using it because I would be scared of the munchies. I'd be scared it would increase my appetite. I would probably also be scared that it would allow me to rest. Um, and those were things that my eating disorder was afraid of. So there's a little bit of a problem there with getting people with anorexia, if even if they have been prescribed medicinal marijuana, getting them to actually use it. And I, I know from myself, I, I would have certainly been resistant to using it in the same way I would have been resistant to really using anything that would have helped my recovery, especially when I was in recovery, but not really in recovery, if you know what I mean. When I was in recovery and really in recovery, I think I would have really benefited from it. And I think it would have been, I think it would have been a game changer. I think it would have helped massively. Um, so I would love to hear from anybody's thoughts on this. Um, good or bad, I would like to open a discussion on the more controversial aspects of eating disorder recovery. You can email me, it's info at tabithafarrar.com or you can tweet at me at love underscore that underscore. Thanks for listening. Cheers and until next time, cheerio.